0: What is up guys? Hello. I hope everybody had a great Christmas or whatever holiday that you celebrate in December. I hope it was amazing. Um everybody needed, you know, a good rest from work and if you didn't get it, thank you for continuing to work during this insane time. Uh today I think we're just going to get right into it because I have poor time management skills and I have to get other things done today. Uh, Of course, someone tried to go down my street bumping their car radio as loud as possible as soon as I started to record. Today, I am crocheting this, like, color block cardigan. I'm not really sure how to describe it. One arm is yellow, one arm's red. One front panel is green, one front panel is blue. And then the back is opposite of the front. And then the hems like the... The arm cuffs are going to be two different colors and the collar is going to be a different color. It's you'll see a picture of it later. Today I'm going to go over three separate murders. I think it's three. Hold on. I don't even know my own cases. Yes, it's three. Okay. So, I'm going to go over a certain one first and I honestly could not find a lot of information on it. And I'm not going to pull the race card, but she is a young black woman, and time and time again, we have been shown that black people do not get as much coverage as white people do. So, bear with me because there's not a lot of information on this case. So, this case is the murder of Monique Ba. The murderers, or the aides to the murderers, are Barry Davis, he is 40, Cedric Barry, 41. Elsa Segura, 28, and Shantae Davis. I couldn't find her age, but she was married to Barry Davis. I don't know why I keep choosing cases where people have the same first name as the other person's last name. Anyways, the day of the murders was obviously December 31st, 2019. The location was Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the victim was Monique Baugh. She was twenty eight. So, Monique was a realtor, and she had a call about showing a house on New Year's Eve. She went to show the house, where she was kidnapped and whisked away into a U-Haul truck where she was bound and tortured. Around 5.30pm on December 31st, a man with a black mask used a key to enter a home on Humboldt Avenue. I butchered that name. And they ended up shooting Ba's boyfriend four times. Um, it was rumored that he was the target of the crime, since he was a rapper in the area and ran into a record deal confliction. Thankfully, he and the children in the home survived, but when relatives arrived to the house, Ba's mother noted that the key belonged to Monique. Just an hour later, at 6.38 p.m., three shots were fired in an alley on Russell Avenue North. When police arrived, they found Monique Ba fatally shot with her hands bound with tape. Like I said, I could not find a lot on this case, and I just found that Barry Davis ended up escaping custody and fleeing, but he was later found, and charged with second-degree murder and kidnapping. Cedric Barry was charged with second-degree murder and kidnapping. Shantae Davis was charged with aiding an offender, and Elsa Segura was charged with kidnapping. So, on to the next case, which is more in-depth because it's a white kid you know, because we definitely care about those. This is called the Long Branch New Year's Eve murders. So the murderer in this case, his name was Scott Kologi. He was 16 at the time of the crime, and the day was December 31st, 2017. This happened in Long Branch, New Jersey, and the victims were his sister Brittany, who was 18, his parents Steva and Linda, Stephen and Linda, who were 44 and 42, and his family friend, Mary Schultz, who was 70. This case classification is a familicide, which just means like when the whole family gets killed or one person in the family kills the rest of the family. And the method was shooting with a semi-automatic rifle. So the murderer in this case, um, just a little bit about him. Neighbors said that Scott was homeschooled and cared for by his mother since he had special needs. Neighbors were shocked by the death and even more surprised when they realized that Scott was the one who had done it. Jalen Walls, a friend of the family, said that he was he was a fully functioning adult and he could completely comprehend what people were talking about. So into the murders. On December 31st, 2017, just before the Times Square ball dropped to ring in 2018, multiple shots broke out in the Kologi home. Scott Kologi, who is said to have had autism and experienced hallucinations perfect recipe for mass murder Uh, he went from room to room in his family home with a semi-automatic rifle thankfully his brother grandfather and another friend were able to escape during the massacre but his sister parents and family friend weren't as lucky a motive for scott to commit such a shocking crime against his family really remains a mystery scott himself doesn't really even have a reason I read somewhere that the family was struggling financially and that they were facing their home being foreclosed, but I'm not sure why that would affect Scott or why that would be a motive for him to commit the crimes. Um, He could have, if he had autism, he could have felt the stress uh, off of his family and fed off of it, but I don't, I don't really know. Police in the area said that they never had calls from this house before regarding violence or anything of that nature, so something this extreme was super unbelievable. And, you know, I don't know a lot about autism, but I've been around a lot of autistic people in my lifetime. I used to work with an autistic kid, and I don't want to say anything that could possibly be offensive, but I do know that if they're violent because of the autism, it's usually something that's repetitive and a known issue. Um, And oftentimes, like, it does involve law enforcement. Like, people—law enforcement's usually called if an autism outbreak is, like, super intense. You know? I don't know. It's just, it's crazy to think that autism is what made him do this if he hadn't had previous outbreaks before. I don't know. What do you think? Since it was rumored that he experienced hallucinations, I wonder if the mixture of both hallucinations and autism was the reason? I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody. That's just my thoughts. But the aftermath, aftermath, I cannot speak today. I'm so sorry. Scott was ordered to remain in jail while he awaited trial, even though his lawyers kept pushing for him to be moved to a psychiatric ward, which, yeah, I uh, I agree. At first, this case was housed by a family court, but a judge approved the prosecutor's request to move it to adult court, and this caused him to be tried and charged as an adult with four counts of first-degree murder. On many websites, I could not find anything that was talking about how he was some violent person, except for one article That I found through some deep digging. Um, So take this with a grain of salt. The grandfather that escaped was dating the 70 year old who was murdered that night. And he claims that Scott found the rifle and was walking up and down the street saying he was going to kill people. Um, If he was saying this, then why didn't the family call the cops sooner? Like if he was out of the house trying to call people or kill people, why did no one call? Like you could have prevented, not victim blaming, but you could have prevented the whole thing happening. If he really was walking up and down or walking around saying like, I'm going to kill people. Um, Anyways, the grandpa goes on to say that on his little walk, he thought to himself, I'm not going to kill strangers. I'm going to go home and kill my family. So the grandpa then said that Scott's brain was messed up by a tumor and nerve damage from a birth defect, but I couldn't find that anywhere else. And Adrian, the, the grandpa, claimed that he was trying to warned Steve and Linda of the things that Scott was saying and acting like, but they didn't believe him and actually got upset with him for accusing Scott of the things that he was doing. So, I don't know. But it was said that Brittany was a nice lady. She always smiled and was very happy. And someone wrote on, like, one of the victim's Facebook walls and said, uh, for this to happen to this man and his family just simply can't be explained. I've known Steve for decades and I can say this, I've never had an argument or disagreement since I've known him. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the case. What do you guys think about it? The, the gun apparently belonged to the father and I'm not ever saying that it's a victim's fault, but, like, in general, I think that guns need to be stored in a way that people who shouldn't use them can't access them and like I don't think I'm anti-gun I'm 100% for gun control but like in a situation like this I feel like it could have been possibly prevented had the gun been locked away in a manner that didn't allow Scott to access it I don't know what do you think what are your thoughts what are your thoughts and opinions we're gonna go on to the next case this one is called Mother Decapitated, Son Arrested. Uh, this one is a doozy, y'all. So buckle up, get a snack. Um, I Here we go. So the murderer in this case, his name is Christian Gomez, and he was 23 at the time of the murder. This happened on December 31st, 2014 in Oldsmar, Florida. Uh, the victims were Maria Sorora's... And I, I'm going to butcher this last name. It's spelled C-A-S-S-A-G-N-E. And I'm thinking, like, lasagna. Cassange. I don't know. She was 48 at the time. Her last name, I'm sure it's amazing. Uh, the case, cla- wow. The case classification is homicide, and the method was decapitation with an axe. So, about the murderer. I read somewhere that he may, have been, he may have skinned and buried the family cat when he was younger and that he would also sit with his mattress up against the wall and sit in the dark living room at night to escape the voices coming from under his bed and that his mother would sleep with a knife under her pillow. So yeah, we're, we're starting off really great here. Um, he liked to be alone and play video games or sit outside and sit outside for hours and stare at the grass and sky. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia and taking medication for the illness illness that was slowly ruining him. His mother was single and doing everything she could for Christian. And she was trying to get him the right medi- medication and the therapy that he needed. But it was decided that he needed to see a new psychiatrist. His younger sister, Maria Jose, said that Christian often told therapists he felt like a burden. And that herself and her mother were watching him through his TV. You know, st- stereotypical schizophrenic stuff so she the sister went on to say that she wasn't allowed to stay home alone with him for fear of inappropriate behavior we're yeah you know we're starting off great mother sleeps with a knife under her pillow sister can't stay alone with him because she's scared that he's going to do some crazy stuff so on december 31st 2014 mario christian's older brother came to visit the family Mario lived further away and didn't get to see the family often. Although they didn't see each other much, the brothers argued when they were together, causing Christian to be in his room more when Mario was around. After the entire family ate a a dinner that Mario had cooked, Maria, the mother, drove Maria Jose, the daughter, to work and came back to the house to sit in her room and listen to music. Same girl. I I trap myself in my room and blare music all the time. Mario was reading a book when Christian came up to him and sat down, staring at him for a few minutes, and left. That's terrifying, honestly. Like, chilling. And I know I say that way too much, but chilling. <laughs> Five minutes later, Christian went into his mother's room and asked her if she still wanted to help bringing the boxes down from the attic to store the holiday de- decorations in. She said yes, and they headed to the garage. Mario said that a few min- minutes later... He heard a thump in the garage and assumed that it was just the boxes being brought down. Like, dude, you never assume that a thump is innocent when your mother has to sleep with a knife under her pillow. Get up and go check. (sighs) He said that he never heard any screaming, so he didn't even question it. Outside the house, Veronica Allen had just arrived so that Maria, the mother, could color her hair. She was walking towards the garage and could see Christian mopping up what she assumed was red paint that's chilling veronica proceeded to call maria and tell her that christian was acting strange but she didn't answer obviously so veronica left voicemail instead after waiting a bit with no response veronica left thinking that the family was just having another small dispute and that maria would call her when she was finished yeah no small family dispute here Mario noticed that 20 minutes had gone by and that the house was too quiet for post-holiday cleaning. So he got up and walked into the garage where he opened the door and noticed the puddle of blood and the axe leaning up against the wall. He followed the trail of blood that led to the front door where he discovered his mother's headless body and that his brother was missing. Dude, have you ever seen scary movies? You do not follow the trail of blood. I would, I would 100% survive a scary movie because like, don't be dumb, you know? Like, walk opposite, call the cops, get a weapon. Mario obviously called 911, but just a few blocks away, Christian was asking some random guys in an open garage for a beer. They noticed the blood around Christian's ankles and how strange he was acting, so they gave him water and he rode away on his bike. Mario must have informed them how serious this case was because helicopters were were sent out and that is ultimately what detected him on his run. Around 8 p.m. is when deputies were able to detain him. Trying to flee on a bike when cars go fast and helicopters can see pretty much everything? It doesn't work out for you, sir. So, Maria's head was found in the trash can outside the family home where the trail of blood had led to. Christian had later said that he had thoughts about killing his mother for two days before he did it. He said in the moment he was angry, so he grabbed an axe and swung it towards her like a baseball bat, claiming that he had finished her. What the heck, dude? (laughs) In this case, I really just think that his mental illness was the reason that he did it, and that sucks, you know. It really sucks because he showed so many signs of screaming for help, and according to the research that I did, he was never institutionalized. Like, this all could have been prevented had he not been roaming the world without proper care that he needed with such an engulfing mental illness. We need to do better for our mental ill, mentally ill friends. You know? I read that the reason he was so upset was because his mother had been asking him to move boxes for two days, and he had finally had enough, so he decided to bring it up, knowing she would say yes. He just wanted her somewhere that he could hurt her. And I didn't even mean to do two cases back-to-back where the mental problems could or could have not played a factor into, the, into why the people did what they did to their family-slash-mother, but hey, you know, that's the world for you. I also read somewhere that he was jealous of the relationship Maria had with Maria Jose and Mario, and he felt like a burden to them. So yeah, I I just honestly think that this was multiple things added on to a sometimes violent mental illness. A recipe for da- disaster, if you will. The aftermath of the murders, Sheriff Bob Gulateri said that Christian, in a very calm and cool way, explained what he did, why he did it, and what happened and that by talking to him, you wouldn't know he had any mental illnesses, and that is what was scary. I mean, yeah, like, a lot of times you can't see mental illnesses, and that's why it's so important to treat them correctly and swiftly. They can be dangerous. It's like cancer, um, definitely not relating the two, but you can't see the stages that they're at, and sometimes until, you know, something super intense happens with them. So Christian had no previous arrests except for loitering and disorderly contact, which conduct which both you know could be harmless and christian was held without bond and tried with first degree murder but declared incompetent and to be re-evaluated six months later but when he finally was re-evaluated it had been three years later after spending some adequate time in a state mental hospital he was declared competent and to stand trial on july 9th 2018 and the Tampa Bay Times, um, they have a really great article that can can explain the legal side of things much better than I can. Because I, like I said in previous episodes, I am not good with legal <laughs> words. So, anyways, he was facing a life sentence, but accepted a plea deal that came out to 25 years, followed by 10 years of probation and treatment. Factoring in the time that he had already served with the possibility of early release so he could totally be roaming the streets in like 15 years which you know if he's treated on medication much better um i'm not i'm not too upset about that besides the fact that he killed someone but he killed someone and he could easily stop taking his medication stop getting treatment and do it all over again so yeah what what do you think about this one Do you think that he could come back into society safely again with the right treatment? Or is this a case where he has already been capable of such a horrendous thing and the schizophrenia was just there? Um, I really, I don't know. I feel like people can easily stop taking their medications and kill someone easier if they've done it before. But I don't really know how I feel about him being able to walk around in 15 years or so. Don't come near me, please. Stay away from me. It, it It is really scary to think about how there could be so many people around you in your daily life that have killed someone or, like, thought and planned out how they would kill someone and you don't even know because, like I said earlier, mental illnesses and stuff like that are really, um, hard to detect a lot of times, but those, those are the New Year's Eve murders for you guys. Um, I'm really excited to post a picture of this cardigan later and show you all what it looks like and I- this is going to be the first item that I'm going to sell that I've worked on while recording this podcast. So keep a look out, keep an eye out for that. I'm so sorry. I've not been able to talk today and I don't know why. It's so frustrating. Like I already stumble over my words really badly, but I seem to turn on the recording and then I'm like, oh, I don't even know how to speak at all. Like words, I, I've never learned them before. So thanks for bearing with that. Um, Thanks for sticking around, even though it's probably really hard to listen to me speak. (laughs) It'll get better, I promise, as I get more comfortable. And I haven't recorded in like over a week because I pre-recorded my Get to Know Me and um, Christmas episode before Christmas week. So those just went out scheduled. And so it's it's been a minute since I've sat down and recorded. But thank you for being patient and thank you for listening. You guys are great. You guys are awesome. You aren't weird for wanting to hear about this stuff. And maybe a little, but that's okay because I'm the one sitting here saying it. But I hope you guys have a great day. Lock your doors and don't talk to creepy men. Bye!